0: Hello, everybody. This is Gerard Fox, and this is The Verdict is In. And I am very, very, very excited to tell you that I have a guest here, Seth Zuckerman. He is a partner at a renowned criminal defense trial boutique, Chaudhry Law PLLC. Now, it's not every day that you get a criminal defense lawyer as a guest, and they get involved in very interesting cases. Seth honed his uh, mastery of criminal defense by practicing on both sides of a criminal courtroom. A well-regarded former prosecutor, Mr. Zuckerman has nearly a decade of experience on the defense side. He has been recognized as a top 40 under 40 criminal defense attorney by the National Trial Lawyers. He is a fearless, tireless, and zealous advocate for all clients facing investigation or criminal charges, Think about that. Mr. Zuckerman represents clients in a wide variety of white-collar and traditional criminal defense matters in federal and state courts in New York and throughout the country. In addition to criminal matters, Mr. Zuckerman represents clients in parallel regulatory proceedings brought by the SEC and FINRA, as well as Title IX University Misconduct Proceedings. A trusted lawyer in high-stakes, high-profile cases, Mr. Zuckerman's matters routinely are the subject of the news reports, including an episode on Dateline, NBC. That's a pretty big deal. Mr. Zuckerman is a former senior assistant district attorney with the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office. During his tenure at the district attorney's office, Mr. Zuckerman was the first of his class and youngest trial attorney to be promoted to senior assistant district attorney. While at the district attorney's office, Mr. Zuckerman prosecuted hundreds of major felony crimes from investigation through trial, including murder, attempted murder, vehicular homicide, robbery, burglary, assault, weapons possession, grand larceny, fraud, and sale possession of narcotics. Mr. Zuckerman successfully tried 15 cases to jury verdict and presented hundreds of cases to grand juries. He's a trial lawyer like myself. We have tried dozens and dozens of cases and arbitrations. Mr. Zuckerman's experience on both sides of the criminal justice system sets him apart and provides him a unique perspective in obtaining the best possible outcome for his clients. Mr. Zuckerman has obtained countless favorable results for his clients through motion practice, successful negotiations, and when necessary, trial. He is committed to building strong relationships with his clients, which serves as a strong foundation for his advocacy on their behalf. Prior to joining the firm, Mr. Zuckerman was counsel at a prominent white-collar criminal defense boutique and partner at an Amlaw 100 firm. Amlaw is a list that uh, lawyers look to, and it's a very prestigious list. Mr. Zuckerman received his undergraduate degree from the University of Michigan and his law degree from Brooklyn Law School. He has admitted to practice of law in the state of New York and federal courts in southern, eastern, northern districts of New York. He's also been admitted pro-hoc-vici, that means where you appear in other jurisdictions with a local council, to handle matters throughout the country, including New Jersey, Massachusetts, Illinois, Georgia, and California. He's also been recognized for his pro bono work, that is free work that you do for deserving people, and previously been named to the pro bono honor roll. That's a big deal. He recently represented an individual who, as a juvenile, was sentenced to life without parole. Mr. Zuckerman successfully secured his client's release after 42 years in prison. That's a big deal. First of all, Seth, wow, that's a lot. And uh, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thanks, Jerry. I really appreciate you having me on, and thanks for the great introduction.
0: Tell me about how you became interested in criminal law.
1: So it actually started with law school. I uh, took a a law school seminar, which was uh, taught by an adjunct professor who was a renowned criminal defense attorney. He actually represented John Gotti in his acquittal. And after listening to him, I was hooked and I was immediately interested in criminal law. I knew that's what I wanted to do. And after I took that seminar, I got my internship at the DA's office and my career in criminal law started and never looked back.
0: And for the listening audience, in a civil case, you typically in most states have 12 jurors and the burden of proof is very limited and federal court has six jurors. The burden of proof is the real difference maker. In a civil case, you just have to show that it's more likely than not that your client should prevail in a case. That means a little bit past 50-50. But in criminal law, you have to prove things beyond a reasonable doubt, and that's a very high standard. So tell us a little bit about your time as a prosecutor.
1: Sure. So I started out a law school at the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office, which is one of the largest prosecutor's offices in the country, it covers the entire county of, of Kings County, which is Brooklyn, New York, which has about 2.6 million residents. And I was assigned to a trial bureau, and that was certain precincts within the New York City Police Department, the NYPD. And some of the most violent uh, precincts, actually, in all of New York City. And so I was assigned to this trial bureau. We handled all types of crimes that came out of this these precincts. And I handled fifteen cases to jury verdict. I handled hundreds and hundreds of cases in the grand jury. I was involved in a lot of large investigations that we conducted. In fact, my first jury trial, Jerry, was when I had been an admitted attorney for just six weeks. I had just been admitted to the bar, and my supervisor said, "Seth." I know you want trial experience. Here's the case. And I met with the witnesses and I prepped them. And it was great experience. In fact, I recall from that, a very unique situation happened when uh, we received a verdict. The judge called me up to the bench, knew it was my first trial and said, Mr. Zuckerman, would you like to see the note from the jury that says that they've reached a verdict? I said, sure, your honor. He hands me the note. He hadn't looked at it himself. And in fact, the note had the verdict on it which is not what the jury's supposed to do. They're supposed to just say to the judge, judge, we've reached a verdict without disclosing what the verdict is. But in this case, they had disclosed to the judge, judge, we have found the defendant guilty in this case. So I took it, I walked away. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to tell the judge that, but I had certainty when the jury came in, I knew what the verdict was. I haven't been fortunate enough to know that in my subsequent trials, both on the prosecution and defense side, but it was, it was a great uh, lesson and interesting experience during my first trial. Seth
0: is a true trial attorney, and my audience and I have gone over the fact that most lawyers in big law firms who don't come out of the U.S. Attorney's Office or the State District Attorney's Office, with the exception of maybe some personal injury lawyers, are really not trial lawyers. They have very few trials under their belt, very few arbitrations with live witnesses. And the way you can tell a trial lawyer is they'll start telling you stories like Seth just did, real stories, lots of them, not just a few, but many about real live experiences with the jury, which is very radically different than taking a case to a mediation and settling it. Now, what types of cases do you handle now that you're out on your own?
1: So Jerry, we handle white collar cases predominantly, which include federal prosecutions brought by the Department of Justice and various jurisdictions throughout the country. That includes insider trading, wire fraud, securities fraud, money laundering, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. We also handle cases that are brought by the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, as well as internal investigations that are conducted at either financial institutions or other large companies that are doing their own investigations and bring on outside counsel to conduct those investigations and or to represent witnesses in those investigations. In addition to the white collar cases that we handle, we also handle state court criminal matters. Just last year, I handled a murder trial in uh, New York. And we handle other state court criminal matters that are both on the white collar side, both on the financial crime side and on the non-white collar side what we call traditional criminal defense side. And those are the types of cases that we handle.
0: How was it to make the switch from being a prosecutor who had the authority of the state or the federal government behind them to being a defense lawyer in something like a murder trial?
1: I have no problem making the switch because I I believe in the system. I believe we have a very important role in the system. And I believe that that my clients have absolute constitutional rights. Now, I obviously see from both sides that the system obviously treats prosecutors and defense attorneys very differently. The discovery obligations are very different, although in New York, they're trying to change them. And there was just a new discovery law that was passed uh, this past January 1st. But it is very different being on the defense side and being on the prosecuting side. But I think it gives you a leg up when you've been on both sides. You could anticipate what's coming. You know the obligations that different sides have. And I think it really prepares you for being a criminal trial lawyer when you've been a former prosecutor.
0: Yes. And of course, I think you'd agree that business people will wake up one day and realize that their company's um, committed some type of fraud or violation of a federal or state law and that they're being investigated. Uh, And or at least the word on the street is they're being investigated. Agents knock on their door. They're scared out of their freaking minds and they have to go to the company, which may hire their outside criminal defense lawyer. What are some tips that you can give for that executive who's sitting in a company who all of a sudden wakes up
1: and their world's turned upside down? Jerry, the number one piece of advice I give to anyone who finds out they're under any type of investigation is to contact a criminal defense attorney. The earlier you contact someone, the earliest at the earliest possible time, when you have a single hint that there may be an investigation, it is so much more beneficial for that executive, the company, and it assists the criminal defense attorney in doing their job better. I can't emphasize that enough. Yeah. and Why is that? Because the earlier we're involved in a case, there are more options on the table. There are more strategic plays that we have when we're involved at the very beginning of an investigation. We are so much more successful in staving off the investigation, making sure that there isn't an indictment, that there isn't publicity from it. But if we get involved when the indictment's about to drop the next day, there's nothing we could do. But if we get involved Years because lots of these white collar investigations take years before they are, are indictments that are handed down. We are so much more successful, and we're able to come up with a long term strategy for our clients, and they're so much happier at the end. I can't tell you how many clients, Jerry, have said to us, Wow, I'm so glad we called you when we did. Because if we waited another couple of weeks, we would have been a lot further along in the investigation, and we wouldn't have been able to push our side to the investigators. Because once these investigators and federal prosecutors come up with a theory of the case, it's a lot harder to change their minds than at the very beginning when they're a blank slate and they're just starting their investigation. So to the corporate executives or to even small business owners, anyone who finds themselves under investigation, the sooner you contact someone who could represent your interests the better off you are. And that includes even if you just receive a subpoena to produce documents or appear before a grand jury. If you hire someone to protect your rights, you are in a much better situation than than waiting.
0: Let's talk about two terms you've used. One is the grand jury. What is the grand jury process in, in criminal law?
1: So the grand jury is a secret proceeding that happens behind closed doors. So that is in New York state there are 23 grand jurors who sit in a sitting grand jury for about 2 to 4 weeks. Now in the federal court there are generally longer grand juries where they will sit maybe one or two days a week but for 6 months or up to a year. And in that the prosecutor presents certain evidence whether it's financial documents, witnesses, telephone recordings, audio recordings, text messages. The prosecutor presents evidence and goes to the grand jury and asks for the grand jury to return an indictment on those charges. Now, you can't proceed with certain charges without the grand jury returning an indictment. You can. You can. You can can in, in very small charges, on minor charges, on what we call misdemeanors. But generally, on serious felony cases, you cannot proceed until the grand jury has returned an indictment. And that enables you to proceed with the case.
0: And once you're hired on the defense side, and there's been a grand jury. Is there any way for you to find out what happened in the grand jury proceedings?
1: So the grand jury proceedings are secret. So the prosecutor has an obligation not to disclose. The grand jurors are are sworn not to disclose. The only person that could tell you what has happened is technically a witness who has been called before the grand jury, can tell you what they testified to. Now in New York state, which is unique, you have the absolute right as a defendant who has been arrested to appear before the grand jury. And now that's a strategic decision that I make with my clients, whether or not they want to appear before the grand jury or not. Obviously, the grand jury has a very has a much lower burden of proof. So it's not always in a client's best interest to appear before a grand jury because it's not the beyond the reasonable doubt standard that you talked about earlier. It doesn't have to be a unanimous verdict like it has to be at a trial. So there's a strategic decision as to whether or not your clients in New York at least are going to appear before the grand jury. In the federal system with the Department of Justice, you don't have such rights. So if your client got arrested
0: and it's a state court proceeding and they're going to testify before a grand jury, are
1: you allowed to accompany them? We are allowed to accompany them, but we're not allowed to do anything in the grand jury. We're only allowed to sit there. We're not allowed to state anything on the record. We're not allowed to ask any questions. Uh, We're just allowed to be there to observe. And you can't make an objection. Cannot make an objection.
0: And now who gets picked to be grand jurors?
1: So grand jurors are just like regular jury duty. You get a summons in the mail to appear for jury duty. And you could be selected for a trial jury or you could be selected for, for a grand jury. They're a couple week terms, or like I said, sometimes they're longer terms and you, you can be selected just like you could be for a trial. In a trial,
0: the jury is instructed on the law. In a grand jury, is the grand jury instructed on the law of the, of the causes of action, the, the legal claims?
1: They are, but they're instructed on the law by the prosecutor. So as you could see ha- how that shakes out it gives the prosecutor a large advantage in prosecuting the claims that they want to receive an indictment for.
0: Well, because in a trial, the judge would read the instructions to the jury, correct? That is correct. So, you know, when, when a judge reads instructions, they usually don't emphasize any one instruction over another. They don't have any inflection in their voice. They just read them in. If prosecutor prosecutors left with the jury, grand jury themselves, I'm sure they can emphasize certain instructions over others.
1: Yes, but with that being said, the grand jury minutes are reviewed by a judge at a later point. And obviously, if there are improper instructions provided, the judge can dismiss the indictment based on the instructions. That is rare, but it can happen. But so there is some oversight, at least on the state court level. On the federal level, however, the oversight is a lot less. And so that doesn't that doesn't exist like that.
0: Well, this is all really very interesting. And making clear the point that you really want to go to an experienced federal or state prosecutor who's now defending to help you in your matter. Doesn't it help you to know people that are in the prosecutor's
1: office? Absolutely. And what's the advantage of that? Well, it's not an advantage in terms of getting necessarily a better deal, but you know how to evaluate the case as a prosecutor. If this case came into you, how you would handle it, what the investigation would be, what kind of questions you would ask of the witnesses, what kind of evidence you would want to present to the jury. Now, as a defense attorney, I'm able to bring both my experience as a prosecutor, what I would do with this case as a prosecutor, and what I would do strategically after speaking to my client and what defense is in their best interest. So it gives me a better idea as to what's happening on both sides. What are the best and worst parts of your job? Now, the best part, is when I could look at a client who has been falsely accused of something and we have safely navigated the issues and we end up on the other side looking back and he's been cleared and exonerated or she has been cleared or exonerated of all charges. That is the best part of my job. When I fight for a client knowing, believing in their innocence, whether it's at the investigation phase and the government decides not to prosecute them Or at the trial phase and the jury returns a not guilty verdict, just looking at the client and telling them we won is a very rewarding experience.
0: Have you been in a criminal case either as the prosecutor on the defense side where the case was televised? There were televisions and cameras in the courtroom.
1: So I have. So the, the murder trial that I referenced earlier, which we tried last year, it wasn't televised live, but there were cameras in the courtroom taping for later shows that were going to be aired, such as Dateline NBC, as you mentioned, and there were other TV shows that were resulting from it. Actually, on day one, in front of the judge's bench, there were about five or six cameras in front of the judge, and it was actually extremely right in the, on the defense table. And the judge actually had to order the cameras to be behind us for the remainder of the trial, facing the witnesses and facing the judge so that they could capture the actual trial instead of just capturing the defense table as we worked. It's very different when not only is there ca- are there cameras, but there's a lot of press, there are articles being written about your case every single day. And so not only your strategy, the questions you ask, the rulings that the judges make every day, there's something written about your case. And I know jurors are instructed, they're not supposed to read any media reports, but I think it's human nature that they must see something. I know there have been trials that have been overturned based on that. And there are a lot of cases where it's impossible to prove. But I'm sure that in certain cases, the jurors are looking at something that they're probably told not to. Because between social media, newspapers are on their phones. Everything is digital these days. It's impossible to avoid things. And in your criminal cases, have you ever to jury consultants who help you pick the jury? We have, we've done focus groups in advance of cases in which we go through different defenses and see which defenses, which strategies are more accepted by certain jurors. And we try and go through a variety of possible lines of questionings for certain witnesses, certain arguments in both closing, and, uh, closing remarks, opening statements. And it's actually very helpful to not only do the focus group but also to work with someone who is specializes in the psychology of uh, jury selection.
0: Yes, and I should tell the audience we're going to have Lee Miles of Trial Partners on. She's been involved in some very high-profile cases, both civil and criminal, and the idea is to try to find jurors who fit the profile of the perfect juror for your client. Hard thing to do, but there's a lot of very interesting processes that legal will go over as to how they do that.
1: One other thing in that regards, Jerry, if I may, that is another advantage, I think, of being a former prosecutor is I think I understand what the prosecution is looking for in terms of their ideal juror. And then I understand what the defense is looking for in terms of their ideal juror. And that kind of informs my strategy in voir dire, which is you know the term for jury selection.
0: Yes. And I've taught the audience that a rookie trial lawyer will give a practice round of their opening argument in Vordier, which an experienced lawyer will hide their good jurors and try to be able to strike for cause the jurors that are biased against them, which is a very subtle move, but it's one that's very important.
1: What makes you stand out among your peers? Jerry, I think we provide the highest level of client services that are possible, we are always available to our clients 24-7. Every single client of mine has my cell phone number, can text me at any time, can call me at any time. Being what we do, there's no off hours, right? We get calls at 7 a.m. on a Saturday or 11 p.m. or 2 a.m. on a Tuesday. You never know when a client's going to find themselves into some type of trouble, and it's not something that could wait till the morning. This isn't a corporate deal that can wait till tomorrow or wait till the next day. These are urgent legal matters with some type of law enforcement investigation. And so um, we're always available to them twenty four seven. and they could always get in touch with us no matter what's happening. What's the best way for someone to get in touch with you? So the best way to get in touch with me is email address, and I will give you my direct number. My email address is S Zuckerman, which is Z-U-C-K-E-R-M-A-N at Chaudhry, C H A U D H R Y Law.com. And my direct number is 212-785-5558. And I am available 24-7 to anybody who ever needs me. And, you know, the other thing, Jerry, just to finally answer your question, is the other thing that stands out for us is we are all word of mouth. And our referrals are all from other attorneys or for prior clients. And that means the world to us, that other attorneys are going to trust us with their clients when their not, not their business, their life, their liberty are on the line. That means the world. And when prior clients are then recommending friends, family, other people in their networks to us, that also means the world because that shows that they were extremely satisfied with our representation of them.
0: Yes, and I, I want my audience to know that if you have a criminal matter in any part of this country, you should call Seth. He's in the prime of his career, which is very important. I've been referring criminal matters to Harlan Braun in L.A., Roy Black in Florida. These are fantastic trial lawyers. However, once you become famous and you've done a couple of the big cases, you don't always have time for everyone else's case. You don't take everyone's phone call. And you're also not in, I hate to say it, the prime of your career. If you have a criminal law matter, it's serious. It involves your liberty. It involves your reputation. Seth and his firm know how to try a case to the press and to a jury and
1: how to bring about a result, including sometimes plea deals. What's a plea deal really quickly? So a plea deal is when you come to a resolution with the prosecutor's office. So if your client has gotten to the point where they have been arrested, although you could work out a plea deal prior to arrest, but generally, if they've been arrested and they're being charged, it's when you come to a compromise with the prosecuting agency, whether it's the federal government, the local federal prosecutors, or the state government, the district attorney's office. And it's whether or not, you know, there's all different types of conditions that could be satisfied uh, in a plea deal, but it's, it's similar to a settlement in a civil case.
0: And finally, you handled a very significant pro bono matter. You want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure, Jerry. So I I had the privilege of representing an individual named Kevin Van Cliff. Kevin was, uh, unfortunately, when he was 16 years old, was with a group of guys outside of a diner in Philadelphia, and this was in the 70s. And they had decided, young and naive, they decided to rob this guy because they saw him have some money. And one of the guys he was with took out a knife unbeknownst to Kevin and actually stabbed the guy, And unfortunately, the guy passed away. And all of the other individuals were offered a plea deal, including Kevin. But Kevin's like, I did nothing wrong. And the person who did the stabbing actually got eight years in jail. And Kevin was offered six years prior to trial and said, I did nothing wrong. He took the case to trial. And he was sentenced to life without parole after he was convicted of felony murder. Felony murder is when in the course of committing another felony, in this case a robbery, someone happens to die, even if you are not the person who committed the act, you're responsible for it in the course of committing the felony. So Kevin was sentenced to life without parole, even though everyone else received eight years or less. And luckily, a few years back, the United States Supreme Court ruled that a life without parole sentence is unconstitutional for juveniles. And so as a result of that, I got involved in this case and I worked with Kevin and luckily I was able to secure his release. And uh, after 42 years in prison and he's now 60 years old and his disposition, Jerry, I I can't even tell you, he has the greatest disposition. He he doesn't hold any grudges. He's like, Seth, I'm so appreciative that you got me out. And he's ready to move on with his life. He's, lucky. he's now engaged. He's about to get married. I'm going to be attending his wedding next summer. And I'm so happy to have helped him be a little piece to help him get out and to, to, to move forward with his life.
0: Yeah. And let me close by saying this to the audience, and I think Seth will agree. The criminal court system, much like the civil court system, has very, very strict, detailed rules. Sometimes they're changed. But those are the laws that are given to the jury. And often, when you read about the outcome of a case, you often disagree with the outcome, but you haven't heard the jury instructions. You haven't heard what the the sentencing guidelines are or what the judge is required to do. The jury is given very little leeway. It's not a subjective decision, and they can't make an emotional decision. They're told by the judge they're not allowed to. If you have an issue in your community and there's a lot of them today and you want an outcome, you are sworn under oath to follow the laws that's given to you. Now those laws are part of what people learn when they go to law school. And if you are uncomfortable with an outcome, you should really ask how you can get your hands on the instructions that were given the jury or the grand jury in any particular case. And, and in the case of this young man, What happened to him doesn't seem fair at all. It doesn't. But there were sentencing guidelines, and they change. And you should ask to see sentencing guidelines if you're reading a report on how someone spent time in jail. And it was a very harsh outcome. Thankfully, there's people like Seth who not only tries cases for money, but helps restore a person's liberty when it just is unjust. But I do want the listening audience to know that that the law is not a hands up, back of the crowd, back of the room what do you think is fair? How are you feeling about this politically or otherwise? And there's a lot of tough outcomes, tough, tough outcomes, tough pills to swallow, because the law as it's developed, sometimes isn't completely caught up with modern culture.
1: And the jury doesn't have much of a say, They have to follow the law. You agree with that, Seth? Absolutely. And unfortunately, sometimes that's not the case. And that's when it's the hardest uh, is when prosecutors try and use the sympathy factor because there's a victim, someone was out millions of dollars, someone's been defrauded, someone's been money stolen from them, or in the case of a murder case, they play to the sympathy of the jury. And unfortunately, sometimes I feel sometimes that could take over for the law. But yes, I agree. The jury should always follow the law.
0: Yes. And in the civil side, you have to take complex matters. If your lawyer does not simplify them, you're going to lose that trial and also, you know, there's a big, big, big turning point in every trial, which is if you destroy the credibility of a witness. And we'll talk about that more some, but this is a delight. I have one of the top, top criminal defense lawyers in the country on my show. So people, you now know how to get in touch with them, dial them up. He'll give you a consultation. This is the man you want to see, the man to see. Seth, great to have you on the show. Jerry, thanks so
1: much for having me.